Welcome to the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. This is your host, Chris, from RimfireTactical.com. I'm glad you're here. So things in 2020 are getting off to a, a fast start and uh, couldn't be more excited about it. You know, in the previous episode, I talked about some goals that I had set forth for RimfireTactical.com and the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group and, and even the, the podcast, the Rimfire Tactical Podcast. I didn't really go into um, any other goals, but uh, some of my goals for the shooting side of things, um, you know, just a couple of them that I've put or set out for this year was to um, get out and basically shoot a match this year with each of my rim fires. Um, you know, whether it's one of the local matches that we have or NRL matches, um, NRL 22, but I tend to be a creature of habit and I've got a few uh, rifles in particular that I stick to. And, you know, sometimes that's uh, a good thing because you got you know, a lot of familiarity, but the downside is, you know, you got some of these others sitting there and uh, you just don't use them as much as I'd like to. Another shooting goal that I had this year, though, was to get started shooting NRL 22 matches. Now, where I live, the closest match that I could find until very recently was about four hours away. And as much as I enjoy shooting, and especially shooting in different types of matches and things like that, the reality is that traveling four hours one way to shoot in a match, I know people do it all the time. Um, you know, some people are doing it every single week. Some are doing it once or twice a month. I completely get it. Um, just so happens that in my specific scenario, I just can't really find the time to get away. And, um, I mean, good grief. You know, one of the things I talked about in the previous episode was getting a consistent schedule in place for the podcast, because from the beginning, my goal had been to do a podcast every week, at least one episode per week. But yet that had not happened more often than not, just because my travel schedule um, had me going here and there and just, you know, I wasn't getting it done. But like I said, you know, until just very recently, the closest match I could find was about four hours away. Now I've recently learned that uh, one or two of the members of the the NR, or the uh, Rimfire Tactical Facebook group are actually starting one that's about three hours away. So I was like, hey, this is great, you know, getting closer. And then um, I, I learned of another one that's about two hours away. And uh, that one's two hours west, where the other two are, are both east of where I live. And even though, you know, that's definitely cutting down the time and making it more feasible, uh, still, you know, that's a, that's a day commitment um, at the very minimum. And um, while that's certainly not out of the realm of possibilities, it's not exactly something that's the easiest to do, especially... Uh, when you're trying to work around other things and, you know, you don't have any control over what uh, 
what Saturday or Sunday that match is being shot each month. <clears throat> so that leads me to a discovery that I had in the middle of December where I learned about a match that was going to be held close to me. I'm talking like 35, 40 minute drive from my home. And at that point, I thought, you know, this is fantastic. This is absolutely doable. And not only is it doable, but we're going to make this happen. Now, what's really cool about it is the two guys that are putting this match on are actually um, coaches for a youth shooting team in my area. And it's one I just recently learned about. Um, and it's just, it's really neat. Um, the youth shooting team is called the Dragon Elite Precision Rifle Team. And um, two of the coaches that I met um, at this match, a guy named Kevin and another guy named Andy, um, two super guys. I mean, just great guys. Uh, they're accomplished PRS competitors, and um, they have a real passion for teaching kids how to shoot and getting them invo involved in competitive shooting. So um, I was very impressed by these guys uh, to the point that we're going to uh, work to get them on the, the podcast so they can talk a, a bit about what they've been able to do so far with the Dragon Elite Precision Rifle Team and their plans for the future. And, you know, from what I witnessed, they're, they're doing a phenomenal job, uh, a phenomenal job that not only are the kids enjoying, um, but the parents are very involved as well. And to me, that's, uh, as a parent myself, you know, anytime you see parents who are really happy with the coaching their kids are receiving, there's some, there's something great happening there. So anyway, um, got a goal to keep these podcasts, uh, down, you know, keep the episodes around 30 to 35 minutes. And so kind of diving into things a bit quicker than I normally would. But again, that's a goal of mine to really work this through and, uh, just wanted to share some experiences. So the morning of the match, I looked at the forecast and we'd had rain for a couple of days. And um, I knew this was going to be a, kind of a remote location out on a farm. And the temperatures were supposed to be in the 50s, so not really cold. But there was a front coming in and they were calling for um, 10 to 20 mile an hour winds supposed to rain on and off all morning and I, not being familiar with the setup I decided the best thing to do would be to throw on some waterproof clothes and you know basically be prepared for you know the worst of the weather and um, so that's exactly what I did uh, I busted out some camo uh, that I've got that I typically would something I would wear for some cold weather hunting um, it's waterproof insulated and um you know it, it did a great job um it it kept me from getting wet and trust me the the rain uh there was more it was raining more often than it wasn't during the match um but there were some unintended consequences that i didn't didn't see or didn't think through um but i'll talk about that in a little bit um one thing that 
I'm trying to be much better about because I get a lot of questions after uh, an episode comes out when I'm talking about shooting in a match. I'm trying to be better about covering the gear that I'm using, um, not because I'm an expert in any way, shape, or form, but you know, let's face it, most guys that are into guns, you know, we we like to talk about the gear, we like to hear about the gear. So a little bit of info on um, the rifle I was shooting. Um, this particular uh, course of fire, there was uh, one stage where there was some positional and some offhand and some different things like that. And um, not that that was a major deciding factor, but I thought for this particular one, my first NRL 22 match, I thought I would shoot my lightweight voodoo. And uh, I think voodoo, they call it the black magic. Um, I've called it uh, a little bit of everything from uh, the stealth because I feel like it's, uh, it reminds me of a stealth bomber because everything's carbon fiber. It's got a proof carbon fiber barrel and it has the all composites carbon fiber stock. Um, and this rifle, if you've never heard me talk about it before, it's got a trigger tech diamond with a flat blade uh, in it. Uh, like I said, it's a proof research 20 inch carbon wrap barrel. And uh, it's got a Collis 5 to 25 scope sitting in a, a 30 MOA spur mount on a 30 MOA um, rail from Voodoo. And uh, to finish off everything, uh, it's got an Atlas PSR uh, bipod on it, and for the f positional stage, um, I had a SAP, a short action precision uh, SAP sling, and um, I'm gonna, I'll talk more about that later on. Uh, for this match, I decided to not shoot Lapua Center X, which is what I normally always shoot. Uh, I've learned that when the temperature drops a bit, this particular lot that I have of Center X that shoots fantastic when it's around 70, 75 degrees and warmer, uh, I don't get it quite the performance out of it um, when the temperatures are cooler. And uh, I was actually turned on to some SK Biathlon Sport ammo by someone in the Rimfire Tactical Group, uh, Facebook group, uh, Ben Black, uh, had shared some results with it and I was pretty impressed. And so I bought a little bit and tried it and I was very impressed with the performance. And so I, I picked some up and that's why I chose to shoot in this match. Now I mentioned before about the weather and the wind and the rain. And so, um, getting started at the match, um, Andy and Kevin both did a great job. They had some of the little pop-up, um, not tents, but like the canopy uh, things that you'd set up, you know, like if you're at the beach or a ball game or something. And so they had several set up, and um, some of the parents had also brought some to kind of, you know, try to keep the firing positions a little bit, uh, you know, covered a little bit from the rain and everything. But uh, where we were shooting, it's basically in the in a field, and it's perfect setup for what we were doing. Great backstop, uh, incredibly safe. And uh, a majority of the shooters were, actually, I'm, I believe all the shooters except for me were members of the uh, Dragon Elite rifle team. 
a lot of people didn't show that day that had registered or had planned to attend, um, whether that was because of the weather or illness or a change of plans or whatever, don't really know. But uh, like I said, there were several of us that were there and we split up into a couple of different um, groups. My first stage was the ringing in the new year. And if you're not familiar with NRL 22, basically all the stages are uh, 120 seconds or two minutes um, for the timeline. And um, on this particular stage, you're uh, dropping down to shoot off of a tank trap and the targets are split up with a one inch target, uh, a, hang a single hanger at 25 yards. At 50 yards, there's a one and a half inch hanger. At 75 yards, there's a two and a half inch hanger. And then at 100 yards, there's a three inch hanger. And the course of fire basically goes that you engage the target at 25 yards. And then your next shot is fired at the target at 50 yards. Then back to 25, out to 75, back to 25, out to 100. And then after you fire on 100, you come back to 25, then to 75, then to 25, then to 50. Now, this, um, this stage was not something that I had had a chance to practice per se. As a matter of fact, I really didn't get a chance to practice for the match at all, which was not my, what my plan had been. I'd been traveling a bit uh, the week before and just didn't get the time to get out and, and practice. And I, right now, I don't have some of the props that I would need. Um, I'll fix that very soon. But what I did do is I took the advice of uh, Mike Suttle um, from a previous episode. And uh, you can always go back and listen to that episode. But Mike talked about the importance of dry firing. And he also mentioned that, you know, every month that he shoots the NRL 22 matches, you know, when the stages are announced, that he'll go out and, you know, he'll shoot those stages over and over and over in preparation for a match. But even when he can't shoot, he'll dry fire. And so what I did, uh, realizing I don't have a tank trap um, and didn't have the ability to get out, I went ahead and tried to dry fire and practice as much as I could at my house. And so what I did to replicate that tank trap as best I could, um, I took a just a, a chair, um, you know, just a kitchen table chair. And uh, I tried to use that, you know, assuming that I would be somewhat close on the height and, you know, tried to practice that as much as I could. Now, I have a wee bad um, waxed canvas mini fortune cookie. Uh, bag that I had planned to use. And so I practiced quite a bit with that as I could. And uh, once I got to the match, um, Kevin, one of the match directors, he was kind enough to take one of his bags and just throw it out there on the tank trap and let all the shooters use it. And I saw no need, no need to you know, move his bag when he was kind enough to leave it out there. So I just took advantage of that bag. Uh, and it was very similar to the one that I was using. Um, if you're not familiar with this Collis scope, the way that Collis designed this particular scope, the windage adjustments are actually on the left-hand side of the scope. 
where traditionally that you would find parallax adjustment. And consequently, since the parallax isn't on the left side of the scope, the parallax is actually a ring uh, sort of around the base of the elevation turret. And so, you know, it's, it's actually a really great design and I like it a lot. But I learned very quickly, um, I, I knew better than to do this, but it was my first stage and I really wanted to, to get off to a solid start. So I did something that was against my better judgment. At the buzzer, I went from standing position, dropped down, got into position, rifle on the bag, um, kneeling with my left knee, right knee in the air to give some support to my right elbow. And I already had um, my elevation turret. I was dialed to uh, 25 yards. I had the, uh, the parallax adjusted to 25 yards, immediately got on the 25 yard target, pulled the trigger and, and hit the target. And then as anybody who has shot 25 yards and 50 yards uh, very much knows, there's very little difference between the impacts with a 25 yard zero at 50 yards. As a matter of fact, um, it's about 0.3 mils according to uh, JB, JBM. But I decided, and I can't even tell you exactly why I did this because I did know better. I decided to dial the dope and dial the elevation. Or <laughs> dial the dope and elevation, good grief. Sorry, dial the dope and parallax for every single target. Now, was that necessary? Mm, not really. But again, you know, it's first match. Um, you know, it's some nasty conditions weather-wise. And I guess in my mind, uh, it just made sense. So what I did to get started, you know, I dialed to 50 shot impact. Then I dialed back down for 25 yards, shot impact. Same thing for 75, then back to 25. 100, back to 25. 75, back to 25. And, you know, for those of you who are listening that have done this, you know what I'm about to say. Um, I was so focused on the dialing and parallax and basically taking my time to get solid hits that just as I started to pull the trigger, and it's not a heavy trigger, it's eight ounces. Just as I started to pull the trigger on the final target, the 50 yard, uh, one and a half swinger, I timed out. Literally timed out about a half second before I could get the trigger pulled. So even though I hit everything else, I ended up with nine out of 10 on that stage because I did time out. Now, you know, what's funny is the moment that was over, I knew exactly what I did, but you know, like anything else, you can't take it back once it's done. So I was, you know, I was happy with the accuracy, not real happy with the fact that I chose to dial the dope, um, especially at 50 yards. You know, I could have held on the reticle for, I could have held the reticle, frankly, for every range. Um, but, you know, it was a rookie mistake, one that I knew better, but, you know, um, let's hope I won't make that mistake again. The next stage, 
was one more decade down. And on this one, um, again, you know, two minutes to, for the course of fire, but you're shooting at a four inch plate at uh, 100 yards. And so at the start, you'll go from standing uh, down to shooting uh, four rounds off of a 55 gallon drum followed by three shots off of a five-gallon bucket, followed by three shots on a two-gallon bucket. Now, again, at my home, I don't have a 55-gallon drum to practice with. But, you know, in looking at the specs, the height of the four-gallon or 55-gallon uh, drum and one of the, the chairs from my kitchen table, they're close. And so, again, I practiced at home by dry firing using the, the plate, or I'll shoot the plate, using uh, a kitchen chair, <laughs> just dragging it over to my, um, my living room. And again, on this stage, um, you know, I got down into the same position, left knee down on the ground, that uh, left leg, you know, chin flat, um, right knee up in the air, right elbow resting on there for support. And on this stage, um, I shot that way for, off, or for the 55-gallon drum, four shots, four hits fairly quickly. Uh, then I shifted over to the five-gallon bucket. Now, on the five-gallon bucket, when I had tried to get into that or use that same position on the five-gallon bucket, I couldn't make that work. Um, I couldn't get low enough to be comfortable. And, um, you know, let's face it, if you're not comfortable, you're probably not going to get good hits. So what I did figure out I could do is I dropped into a sitting position. Um you know, crisscross legs. Uh, uh, I know growing up, it was we used to call it Indian style. Um, now, the, I've heard the teachers uh, refer to that as uh, they, they've told my kids at school, you know, you sit crisscross applesauce or whatever. But uh, the gist of it is I sat that way, rifle on the bag, on the bucket, and, um, you know, my, my body... Um, facing 90 degrees away from, from the target and had both elbows resting on the insides of my knees, rifle resting on the, the bag. It was a pretty solid position. And again, on this stage or this part of the stage, uh, three shots down range, three, uh, three impacts pretty quick. And, um, then I was able to get moved over to the two gallon bucket. Now the two gallon bucket uh, I actually didn't have a two-gallon bucket, I don't think, but I had a bucket that was fairly small and thought, you know what, I think I can make this work doing something completely different. So what I did with it was I went ahead and dropped down into um, a prone position, had the bag laying on top of the or the two-gallon bucket, rifle laying on the bag, and laying prone, or kind of an elevated prone, I guess you could say, um, had three shots downrange, three impacts. Um, you know, it was a clean run, 10 out of 10. And, you know, fun stage, really fun. 
Um, now, the next stage, this one uh, is called Let's Party Like It's 1999. And on this one, it's shooting a Know Your Limits rack at 33 yards. Um, you're going from a one-inch swinger down, uh, firing two shots at that one, then the three-quarter-inch uh, swinger that you're firing three shots, then a half-inch swinger with two shots, and finally, um, a quarter-inch swinger. And on that one, you're firing three shots. Now, something that uh, I, I've seen people talk about a lot, and um, I, I sort of think it goes without saying, but at the same time, I think it's also worth mentioning. You know, whenever you're you're shooting this courses of fire or any match, you're getting a match booklet or you're getting something to tell you what those stages are before you ever shoot the match. And so knowing that as you go to each stage, it only makes sense that you should go ahead and have your rifle set up for each stage before you start the stage. And so on this particular one, I knew I was shooting 33 yards, just like on the other, you know, the previous one, it was a hundred yards. And the one before that was the 25, 50, 75 and a hundred. So I'd already adjusted the parallax down, uh, turned my magnification down just a little bit, uh, just to make sure I was on target good, uh, where, you know, where I needed to be. But also, I went ahead and had my uh, bipods, um, had those down, and I had the legs extended with the proper length to make sure that I could lay prone and, um, you know, shoot well. Now, on this particular stage, I didn't use that, uh, the WeBad um, wax canvas mini fortune cookie. Um, I actually used a, was a, I think it was like a Caldwell rear bag or something like that. It's one I've had for a long time, but, um, the height on it is perfect. And, uh, you know, it does a great job of holding the rifle steady. So again, with this stage, two minutes, you start standing and then, at the beep, you know, you're going to drop down into a supported position, rifle on bipod, uh, you know, rear bag, and then engage those, those targets. And I'll tell you on this particular stage, um, it, it was kind of tough, not so much because of the size of the targets, but just with everything being so overcast and muddy and, um, you know, the, the know your limits targets being, uh, being shot up pretty good they kind of blended in to the background quite a bit. And so once I was on that, um, that one inch swinger, I really had to make it a point. I just went ahead and, you know, kind of, um, increase the magnification on the scope just to make sure there was no mistakes, you know, and I didn't miss because I was aiming at something that wasn't part of the swinger. But on this one, uh, I was very fortunate. I had a clean run, um, you know, impacts all the way throughout and, uh, man, I love these types of targets. I think they're, a, uh, you know, literally a blast. They're so much fun, but, um, it's really fortunate to go through that with, um, you know, make, making good time. The fourth stage, uh, one called hindsight is 2020 on this one. You're shooting targets at, uh, a one and a half, uh, hanger at 50 yards, uh, or swinger, um, a two inch out at 75 yards. And then at 100 yards, you're shooting a two and a half uh, inch swinger and then a three inch uh, swinger as well. And so uh, at the buzzer, you're going to 
or beep, whatever you're going to drop from a standing position down into a supported prone, you know, rifle and bipod, having a rear bag, and you're going to shoot the, the 50 yard, one and a half inch swinger. You're going to fire one shot at it. Then you're going to transition out and shoot the 75 yard, two inch swinger twice. And then you're going to go out to the two and a half inch at 100 and shoot it three times, followed by four shots on the three inch. Now on this particular stage, um, you know, plenty of time and, you know, obviously already shot targets at these different ranges and everything. So drop down, um, you know, center punch the, the 50 yard and the 75 yard and the wind was picking up a bit. So, you know, um, it was not, wasn't anything that was, you know, should be blamed for a miss, but I was paying a little bit more attention to it. And so, um, I had been favoring the right side of the target, but not holding, you know, right edge or anything like that on the 50 or the 75. So on the first shot at the two and a half inch swinger out at uh, 100, first shot, I hit it. And um, what was interesting is I was holding a little farther, not like I said, not on the right edge, but just inside the right edge. And I got an impact. That impact happened to hit um, right where I had aimed. And so in a moment of thinking, oh, wow, I've totally misread the wind here. On the second shot, I overcompensated, went all the way over to the left, or not not, not the left, but a little left of center, um, mainly because I rushed the shot. I should have been holding dead center. But I, I think I actually either rushed or maybe even pushed into the shot just a little bit. And when I shot, um, I saw an impact uh, just above and to the left of the target. Now, uh, the spotter called a miss. Um, somebody else on spotting scope said they thought it may have ricocheted off the top of the target. I called it a miss because I couldn't, I couldn't swear t- that there was a, an impact and again, I had, I didn't compensate or hold for the wind as much on that shot. So on the third shot on that target, I went ahead, went back, um, held in that, um, right third of the target. And, you know, the wind, um, you know, carried that bullet left and up and, uh, I hit dead center just, you know, up in the, the upper third of the target. So, you know, At that point, I'm clean on the the 50, the 75. I've got two out of three on uh, the first target at 100. And then the last four, four shots, four impacts. So I ended up, you know, nine out of 10 there. And so at this point, um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good about the match. Uh, A little frustrated that I timed out on the first one. Uh, A little frustrated that I, I lost some focus. And, and got careless and cost myself a point or, or a target um, on that one. The last stage, well, the last stage is called dropping like the New Year's ball. And on this one, um, I, I will tell you that I was not necessarily looking forward to it, but yet really looking forward to it, if that makes sense. And the reason for that is because I don't shoot a lot of positional. Uh, I do shoot some silhouette matches where I'm shooting offhand, but something I've never really spent any time doing is shooting with a sling. 
And although I know you can, you could, I could have shot this match without using a sling. Uh, I saw it as a great opportunity to, um, you know, learn and try out some new equipment. I knew it was a shortcoming for me as far as being able to shoot uh, with a sling, and, and it just seemed like such a great opportunity. Well, something I learned in this stage is when I practiced this at home, and I did practice quite a bit. I practiced getting into the sling. I practiced getting the sling adjusted properly. I practiced dry firing. Um, I practiced really this stage more than anything else. And everything about my practice, I felt like was really good. And while I can't tell you I felt 100% confident uh, in this stage like I did in the others, I can tell you I was feeling pretty good. I can also tell you that one thing I did not do was I didn't think about what I would be wearing the day of the match when I was practicing. So sitting in my home, a comfortable 72 degrees, I was practicing with a t-shirt on. At the match in 50 degrees with rain and, and uh, 10 to 20 mile an hour winds, I was in a heavy hunting coat. And the difference in the the padding and everything that made a real um, that made a real difference. And again, I, I would call that a rookie mistake on my part for not thinking that through. So what happened here is I didn't check the sling because um, it's cold range. You know, you don't touch your can't. Um, you're not supposed to be, you know, messing with your rifle until you're coming to the line. And uh, which I think that's a great rule, by the way, that's not, I'm not slamming them at all. I think that's a, a fantastic rule. But as I got up there and was ready to shoot, I went to sling up and quickly figured out, oh my gosh, this is all wrong. This is wrong, wrong, wrong. And um, at that point, <laughs> I got in my mind or in my head way too much. So what ended up happening is um, I wasn't comfortable, and I'm sorry, basically the, the, the stage design is you're shooting a three inch, you're shooting it at uh, it's 35 yards, there's two paper targets, they're three inch um, round targets, bullseye, um, and what you're doing is on the left target, you're firing one round standing, two rounds kneeling, three rounds sitting, all, all of those shots are fired on the left uh, circle. So there's a total of six shots that be, should be on the left circle, followed by four shots shooting unsupported prone on the right. Well, when I went up to shoot, like I said, uh, I've got this plan in, in my mind, you know, no big deal, we're gonna do this. And then, like I said, immediately figured out, oh, man, I messed up. I messed up by not practicing this, getting into the sling. And what I should have done was just reverted to what I've done before, you know, not worried about the sling, taking my, my standing shot, um, you know, doing just like I, just basically no different than a silhouette shot, then dropping down to kneeling, sitting, and then followed by prone. Instead, I, I tried to fight through it. And on the standing, I couldn't get comfortable. And finally, 
I did the one thing that I know not to do. I know it and know it and know it so well. And yet I still did it. I said the heck with it. And I rushed the shot. Then I dropped down into the sitting position, or I'm sorry, the kneeling position. I needed to fire two rounds. Again, I'm trying to get the sling right. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a hurry. And so I send two rounds down range. Now, granted, I'm only shooting 35 yards. Remember that. Only 35 yards. Anyway, you know, I'm just out of my element. I am my own worst enemy at this point. And, you know, it's funny how you recognize things at certain points or, or whatever. So as I'm shooting prone, I hear someone, Kevin or someone, uh, say, man, he's fast. I didn't realize he's already down prone. And I didn't think that much about it. But, you know, once I was down shooting prone, um, I finally had the sling right, but I also felt more comfortable. And, um, you know, I'm seeing my hits. They're good hits or fairly good hits. So I'm feeling good about that part of it. Well, what I figured out after looking at my target and thinking about it on the way home is I was so in my head about the sling, I rushed my first shot. Terrible shot. I was still in my head on the kneeling and feeling all over the place. And I rushed my second and third shots. What I didn't realize until I was on my way home that day was that I was so wrapped up in trying to figure out what the heck was going on and trying to, to solve the problem. I cost myself three shots from the sitting position because I completely skipped the sitting position. I went straight from kneeling into prone. So it's no wonder that Kevin or whoever said, man, he's fast. He's already shooting prone. I was because I completely skipped sitting. So right there, I cost myself seven shots just purely based off of being in a hurry and not, um, not focusing on what I was doing. And you know, again, that's, that's on nobody but myself. So, you know, when it was all said and done, um, I've got to go back and look, I believe if I remember correctly, I think my score ended up being like a 398 or something like that. Um, you know, for my first match, um, I I guess, you know, maybe that's okay. I, I expected my score to be much higher and, and, and like I said, looking at it now and, and, Realizing that, you know, I cost myself a, I cost myself a, a round on the first stage by timing out, just doing something I knew better than to do. Um, on the third stage, I believe it was, I cost myself, uh, or fourth stage, I guess it was, you know, I cost myself another um, target by just losing some focus and not staying, um, staying aware of what was happening. And then, like I said, falling apart on the positional stage. And I remember watching a video uh, of Tyler uh, from NRL 22 talking about, hey, man, I'm going to have positional stages in here every single month. Well, you know, and he talks, he goes on to talk about why. And I'm the perfect you know, example. I knew what to do and I still didn't do it. I didn't perform. You know, ultimately, you know, 
as far as everything else goes, hey man, that's on me. Um, you know, the rifle, the scope, the ammo, everything, that complete system, it all did exactly what it was designed to do. Um, you know, all the impacts went right where I was aiming when I pulled the trigger. It was just a matter of me losing focus. Um, just a few observations about the match itself. Like I said, Kevin and Andy, they put on a great match. They did a great job uh, keeping everything, you know, keeping the, the shooters flowing. Um, they dealt with some really challenging conditions. I mean, the weather was not conducive to have uh, a match that day as far as, uh, you know, if you're looking for bluebird skies and 75 degree weather or whatever. But I appreciate that fact that they had the match so much because, you know, obviously I was looking forward to it. But I've heard horror story after horror story of shooters driving three, four hours or more to go shoot a match, you know, getting up and leaving their homes at four or five o'clock in the morning to be there at a match that was going to start at 9 a.m. just to find out that there was a chance of rain and the match director decided to call off the match, but didn't bother to post anything on, you know, the Facebook page or notify shooters that had registered or anything. Um, so like I said, hats off to them for running the match. I had a phenomenal time. I can't wait till next month's match. Um, you know, the kids that were shooting, you know, just a great group of, of kids. Um, most of them, some were borrowing uh, rifles or uh, from Kevin or Andy. Um, most were shooting either Ruger Precision Rimfires. I noticed a few of them had, um, you know, aftermarket barrels. I don't know whose. Uh, I didn't ask any questions that day. Um, another shooter or two was using the CZ. 457 Pro Varmint, uh, which is a great rifle. Uh, I bought one to shoot in some base class and can't wait to uh, to get that thing out and, and see how well it shoots. Um, optics, it seemed like uh, most of the shooters were using uh, um, the Vortex Diamondback tacticals, either the 4 to 16 or the 6 to 24. Um, most of the shooters, it seemed, were shooting either. Uh, if I remember correctly, SK Standard Plus was the most popular. Um, did see uh, one shooter. A uh, young man was shooting some of uh, the Federal Green Tag or CCI Green Tag. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just, like I said, a neat, neat match. Oh, uh, there was one other uh, shooter there. I believe it was actually Kevin's daughter was shooting a Voodoo in a um, KRG Bravo chassis. Um, but anyway, I, enough about all that. Like I said, just, I can't tell you enough about how much fun I had and how I can't wait to shoot another match. If you haven't been out to shoot an NRL 22 match, man, find one and go take the rifle, take what you got. The course of fire is on the NRL 22, um, website and, uh, you can go and research the course of fire. And even if you don't have access to a range, you can do the same thing that I did, you know, use a stool or use a chair, use things that you have at your house, maybe a ladder or whatever to practice. Um, the website is nrl22.org. Check it out. Um, and last but not least, on a completely different note and just, a, you know, just a funny thing. If you happen to know anybody that drives a Toyota Highlander, especially if they happen to drive a Toyota Highlander hybrid like myself. 
I'm not real big on the hybrids, but um, with what I do, um, I'm on the road a lot. I needed some ground clearance. I needed something that's you know fairly comfortable, but also would get some decent mileage. And so I've had this thing for a couple of years now. This is the first time I've ever had it out in some muddy conditions. And um, when it says IAWD on the side, that's supposed to stand for intelligent all-wheel drive. What I can tell you intelligent all-wheel drive means translated is don't ever take this thing anywhere other than pavement or maybe gravel because um, I got stuck without even trying. Uh, now, in fairness, uh, I wasn't the only one that day, but uh, thankfully, you know, Ford makes some great four-wheel drive tractors and, uh, you know, there was one available to, to get me out of there. Uh, but that just added to the joy of the day, man. I mean, it was so much fun and I've laughed about it a hundred times since, but, um, again, hats off to Kevin and Andy for putting on a great match. One that I can't wait to shoot next month. Um, if you haven't been out to shoot one, please go. You're going to have so much fun as always. If you have any suggestions, comments, um, questions, feel free to head on over to the Rimfire Tactical Facebook group. Reach out to us. Uh, if you'd like to be on the show, you know, if you're a, a match director, a competitor, or anyone in the industry, feel free to reach out to us at contact at rimfiretactical.com. Again, that email address is contact at rimfiretactical.com. Lastly, I want to talk about a sponsor of the show. We have a new sponsor. <clears throat> For anyone that's in the uh, that's in business in general, especially anyone that's in the firearms business, you know that taking credit card payments is a major uh, issue for any business, but especially ones in the firearms industry. For most businesses, credit card payments make up somewhere between fifty to one hundred percent of the income of that business, and for those of us that are in the firearms world, a lot of credit card processing companies are software type companies that tend to be, shall we say, um, not exactly on board with our interests. And because of that, they are not big fans of uh, the gun industry. And more than a few companies have just completely shut down the credit card processing of people or businesses that sell guns, gun parts, or even weapons in general, something as simple as knives. Well, one of our sponsors is a company called Accurate Payment Solutions, and you can find them at getaccuratepayments.com. Feel free to head on over if you own a business. You don't have to be in the firearms industry, but if you own a business and uh, you're looking for a better option with your credit card processing, by all means, reach out to them. Uh, if you head over to getaccuratepayments.com, there is a contact form. You can simply fill that out and someone from their team will reach out to you. They're not going to bug the snot out of you. They're simply going to reach out to you by phone, by email, you tell them and you know provide information. If you have questions, um, you know they can not only talk with you about their solutions for a retail store or e-commerce, or if you're going to gun shows or whatever the case may be, they can go over their solutions to uh, those different types of businesses and fill you in with all the information. 
Again, it's getaccuratepayments.com. All right, guys, that's it. Go out, do some shooting. Just remember, it's Rimfire Tactical. It's lots of fun, but it's not just a 22. That's it. Cheers. <laughs>